In Jeremiah chapter 28 at verse 16, Jeremiah makes a statement to a false prophet by the name of Hananiah. And he tells Hananiah, this year thou shalt die. This year thou shalt die. The context is a rather interesting one. Jeremiah, contrary to the feeling of many of his countrymen, had counseled submission and subjugation to Babylon. And Hananiah had contradicted and opposed the prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had even symbolized what he was trying to say by wearing bars or a yoke of wood upon himself. And Hananiah broke those bars of, of wood, broke that yoke. And Jeremiah responded by saying, You've broken the bars of wood, and in their place will be bars of iron. And you've spoken rebellion against Jehovah. And because you have, He will remove you from the earth, from the face of the earth, this year. Jeremiah 28, verse 16. This year thou shalt die. And we read that in the seventh month of that year he did die. And we're made to reflect very soberly. We've entered into a new year. And my hope and prayer for you and for each of us is that by God's grace we might be granted life through the year and the opportunity to serve Him and to grow and to to right wrongs and to come out of weaknesses. But life is a very uncertain thing. And the words of Jeremiah to Hananiah might well be the words spoken to any of us. Not inconceivably, this year, thou shalt die. I think perhaps one of those things that might help us to best use the new year and best use this time that comes to us day by day is to reflect for a few moments soberly upon how fragile life really is and how brittle the thread that holds us here really is and how life ought to be treasured and how we ought to leave behind the old rage and the old resentment and the the weaknesses of the past. And we ought to plunge joyfully into this year and seize it as a gift from God with the realization that life is brief and that death is certain and that the word spoken to the ill-fated Hananiah could be true quite conceivably of any of us. And it may be that our appropriation and our use of this year might be greatly benefited by that realization. This year the prophet said, Thou shalt die, and he died that year in the seventh month. Let me call your attention some things that you already know. Let me stir up your minds by way of remembrance. Number one, as we reflect upon the words of Jeremiah, life is very, very brief. James perhaps uses one of the best-known figures to illustrate this in James 4 at verse 14. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. He precedes that by saying, Come now ye that say, or go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. James paints the picture of the commercial planners the mercantile men who plot out their plan for new territory. 
Many have, have commented that this was characteristic particularly of the Jewish people of that time. Well, it's been characteristic of all kinds of people throughout time. We're going to do this, that, or the other. James, of course, is not teaching against planning, but he's teaching against the presumptuous planning that leaves God out. And as we accept from the hand of God a fresh supply of time, and as we enter into each new day, may we recognize that it comes from Him. And may we prudently and prayerfully plan. But may it be that planning which says, if the Lord wills. You know, James says, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. And then in that context, what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. In the 16th chapter of Job, Job said, when a few days are come, I go that way from whence I shall not return. When a few days are come. In that same great book we have the statement, man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. The few days used repeatedly there emphasizes the brevity of life. Life at best is short. Some of you probably know Claude Guile, a gospel preacher who labored for years up in the Northwest, preached some in Fort Worth and other places. Very uninhibited preacher. And one night he was up preaching and he called on the oldest man in the assembly. Brother, and I don't know what his name was, Smith tonight at least. Brother Smith, have you been here very long? Well, of course, Brother Smith was suffering from shock. Does it seem to you you've been here very long? And when he regained his composure, he answered, No, Brother God, doesn't seem very long. That's what we'd all say. If you could outlive Methuselah's 969, and mere quantity, by the way, is not enough. It's not how long you live, but how you live. If you could live like that, you'd still say it hasn't been very long. You know, it's interesting to me. The Egyptian pharaoh, the mightiest monarch on earth, begins to interrogate an elderly Hebrew who has come down into Egypt, going to be living in the land of Goshen. Jacob, how old are you? And you know what Jacob says? Few and evil have been the days of my life, and I have not attained unto the days of my fathers. Now, Jacob had lived over a century at that time. Didn't live as long as Abraham's 175 years. Didn't live as long as Isaac's 180 years. But he lived, at least from our vantage point, a long, long time. And he had at that time. And Pharaoh said, Jacob, how old are you? And he said, few and evil have been the days of my pilgrimage. Few. I haven't been here very long. Life is very, very brief at best. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 24 and following, quoting from Isaiah the 40th chapter, beginning at verse 6, All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth. And the flower thereof fadeth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Here's an enduring word, and here's human life. Very, very brief. Very brief and very uncertain. The boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, and all that beauty, all that wealth e'er gave. Await, alack, the inevitable hour, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. The inevitable hour. And I want to stress that in a moment, but I want now to emphasize how brief this life is. We've sung tonight, someday the silver card will break, 
and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I awake within the palace of my king. Someday the silver card will break. Is the language familiar to you? You have language like that in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And the writer of Ecclesiastes pictures the decline and the ultimate demise of man. And we see the farm becoming stooped. And we see the snow of many winters accumulating upon the brow. And finally, the writer tells us that the mourners go about the streets and man goeth to his long home. And the body returns to the dust as it was, but the spirit unto God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12 at about verses 5 through 7. And that comes very quickly. Life is brief. And as we come into this new year and rejoice in it, and exult in it, it's not our purpose tonight to be morbid at all, but as we rejoice in it, I think our stewardship of time will be improved if we realize life is brief. Let me add to that a sobering truth. And you know this, but somehow it becomes dull to us. Samuel Coleridge talked about certain truths that would lay bedridden in the dormitory of the mind. And this may be one of them. Death is inevitable. Death is inevitable. On one occasion, Jacob said, I know not the day of my death. And we could all say that. But we could also say that we know that it's inevitable. Unless you live till Jesus comes back, and no man knows when that's going to be, then you too must die. Hebrews chapter 9 at verse 27, It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this cometh judgment. There is an inevitable summons that awaits all of us. And sometimes we like to think that we have just an indefinite lease on life. And that maybe somehow we might evade and avoid that inevitable appointment, but it cannot be avoided. Life is brief, life is short, and death is certain. It's appointed unto men once to die. You know, I've sometimes talked about the attitude of Paul in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I've asked two questions, a kind of two-question test. What's life to you? What is it to live? And some people would have to say, well, wealth, or power, or position, or the fulfillment of my ego, or the gratification of my desires, the amassing of the material, the fulfilling of my ambitions, that's what life is. Well, question number two, what is it to die? Because, you see, death is an inevitable certainty. What is it to die? William Randolph Hearst said, Don't ever use that word death in my presence. I don't want to hear it. Oscar Levan, a well-known musician that I can remember, a name I can remember from boyhood. Oscar Levan had that same compulsive attitude toward the very word death. Don't ever use it in my presence. I don't want to hear it. One ancient king insisted that the word not only not be used, but when his carriage was drawn by the silent city of the dead, the curtains were pulled, the curtains were drawn, so that he wouldn't have to look out and see those mute reminders of man's mortality. That's a foolish attitude, though, isn't it? We're about to start a new trimester. Now, I've been hoping that somebody, somebody with influence and clout would exercise that and put that thing off about two or three weeks. But it's going to start tomorrow morning. No matter what I might hope, it's going to start tomorrow morning. And you know, you tell everybody what's coming up in the semester. And that just rolls off like the water off the proverbial duck's back. 
And one thing is coming up at the end of it, and you don't even think about it at the start, because that's way off yonder. There's going to be a final exam. Wouldn't it have been something if a student would come up and say, Brother Malone, don't use that expression, final exam. I don't want to hear it. It makes me nervous. So don't ever say that. Now, that'd be a little foolish. Why? Well, it must be written somewhere. I don't know that I've seen it. But in third academians, or somewhere, it's bound to be written, it's appointed unto every student to take a final exam. You see, it's appointed. It's out there. So we just as well get ready for it. And it's appointed unto men once to die. And it's not all of life to live, and it's not all of death to die. And Paul says death is a loosing. And he uses that word for the loosing of the mooring ropes of the great ship. You don't build it to keep it in the harbor. And so that's, that's part of our, our total experience. And Paul looks forward to it joyfully. The breaking of the silver cord is not something that he anticipates with dread. To die is gain. And I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is very far better. Life is brief. Death is inevitable. And at our death, destiny is sealed. There is one particular religious system that has tried to inculcate upon some the doctrine that destiny can somehow be altered after death. But let me tell you something. There is no amount of praying. There is no amount of pain. There is nothing that will in any way alter the destiny of those who have departed this life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 tells us very plainly that we'll be judged by the deeds done in the body. We must all, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the deeds done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. In James 2.26, James tells us something that I think we would have understood anyway. The body without the Spirit is dead. As the body without the Spirit is dead, so faith without works are dead also. All right, the body without the Spirit is dead, and we'll be judged by the deeds done in the body. When death comes, the basis for judgment ceases, and the destiny is sealed, and will not thereafter be altered. That means then that this brief period of probation, this brief time of preparation, needs to be viewed with a, be lived with a view to eternity. If you're living only with a view to the here and now, you're suffering from a kind of spiritual myopia, spiritual nearsightedness that's tragic indeed because you're a being destined for eternity. The body returns to the dust as it was, but the Spirit unto God who gave it. And at death, destiny will be sealed, but conscious existence will go on for you. The rich man died and was buried and in Hades in torments, lifted up his eyes to Father Abraham, Luke 16. And Abraham tells him in response to one of his requests, Son, remember, thou in thy lifetime had thy good things. Consciousness continues. Destiny is sealed, but consciousness continues. Now, as we approach this new year, and as we receive fresh from the hand of God, unsullied and unsoiled, a new year, day by day, moment by moment, we ought to seize those precious, priceless moments as stewards of God and live with the recognition that life is brief, that death is certain. 
And that conceivably, and my hope and prayer for you, for myself, for our loved ones, is that God might bless us with long life. If you've read the 91st Psalm, and I'm, I trust all of us have, you've probably grown to love it in the latter part of it. I will bless him with long life, the Lord says, because he cleaves to me in love. I don't think it's wrong to desire that blessing. But the words of Jeremiah could be true of any of us. The words spoken to and of Hananiah. And in the realization of that, we need to use this precious time very carefully. So teach us to number our days that we may attune our heart unto wisdom. Psalms 90 at verse 12. With a view to all the things that we've said about life and its brevity and death and its certainty and the fixing of the destiny at death, so teach us to number our days that we may attune our hearts to wisdom. A prophet a long time ago, speaking in that period when Judah st stood alone, approaching chastisement from God as he will use the hand of the Babylonians, a seemingly tragic figure cries out to a false prophet, This year thou shalt die. Those same words a number of years ago was, were spoken, those same words were spoken to a young lady in Wichita, Kansas. This year you'll die. Spoken, of course, not by a prophet, but by a medical man, a doctor. And her reaction, to me at least, seems strange, and yet I, I suspect it's not uncommon or uncharacteristic. For many people, believing that life is short, fall into this same philosophy. The view of the Epicureans, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. A young father was told that you will probably not live out the year. His doctor spoke those words, and this young father thought of time to come when he could not be with those precious children. And so in the fleeting flying hours that he had left, he was at the radio station, putting his voice on tape, speaking the words of love and of counsel and of encouragement, the instilling of his values to his children, putting that, recording it, putting it on tape, so that in years to come they might hear that voice and heed that counsel. Another young man in this very state was told, in effect, this year thou shalt die. Leukemia was the disease taking his life, and he established a foundation to help fight that disease. In Jeremiah chapter 38, 2 Kings 20, if I recall, also deals with this incident. Good King Hezekiah was told by Isaiah, Set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he wept, and he prayed, and God granted him 15 more years of life. God sees our tears, and God hears our prayers, and God does answer. But now, my friend, these words could be spoken of you. And what will your reaction be? Let me tell you something. There is one sense in which the words of Jeremiah, This year thou shalt die, could in the case of some be very much desired. You see, you're either dead in sin, or you're dead to sin. And Romans chapter 6, the first six verses, talks about our dying to sin. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? When are we dead to sin? When do we and how do we die to sin? Know ye not? Are ye ignorant that so many of you as were baptized 
into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into His death. Therefore, we're buried with Him by baptism into death. The life of Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, ye also should walk in newness of life. And thus Paul argues we die to sin, and thereafter we do not live impenitently and willfully and habitually in sin. Now, friend, if you haven't died that death, that's a death we could hope you would die not simply this year, but this night. And then, in Christ, having a righteousness not your own, clothed with a righteousness imputed to you because of the redemptive work of the one who died for your sins, was buried and raised, you can face that inevitable summons with an assurance and say to live is Christ, to die is gain, and I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is very far better. Just a few years later, Paul writes in a later imprisonment, as death is very imminent, I'm already being offered up. The time of my departure is come. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. And henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me in that day. And not unto me only, but unto all them that have loved His appearing. Second Timothy chapter 4. That can be the glorious, wonderful reality in your experience. This year thou shalt die. I would like to hope that literally that would not be true of any of us. Conceivably, it could be true of any of all or all of us. And friend, the only way to be prepared for that is to die to sin and live in Christ. A prophet a long time ago said, Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. Numbers 23.10 And the only way to die the death of the righteous is to live that life. In and of ourselves, we cannot be that. But in Christ we have a righteousness, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, not our own. And He calls you to that on His conditions tonight. Obedient trust, trust expressed in penitence, in a confession of His Lordship, in a burial in a liquid grave. And thus you die to sin, and you can arise from that grave saying, I now have no fear of that which even the Old Testament writers call the King of Terrors. No fear of that. Because whether I live or whether I die, I'm the Lord.